Hey. What's up, buddy? Hey, guys. You must have new shoes. You're running fast. Gather around. Come on around, guys. First one here. here. So this morning, I have a couple of jobs I might need you to do, okay? Okay, we ready? Now, these, all of us, and these jobs are really, really important to me. Even you? Even me. Especially to me. All right, first job. I need you to find me a human that can live in space. Huh? No, 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 no. He can't have a suit. He just has to live in space. Raise, raise your hand. It has to be a human, not an alien. Raise your hand if you know a human that can live in space. No space suit. Can't be an alien. You do? You do? I do. Okay. I do. What kind of human is he? Oh. Checkmate. All right, well, how about this? All right. Let me, have, let me ask this question. You ready? Are you ready? Listen, 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 listen. Bring it back together. Bring it back together. We have a human that can live in space. Fine. I need you to find me a human that can also breathe water. No, it has to be a human. You're missing the point. A human fish? No. All right, here's the best one. Here's the best one. You ready? I need someone who can help me understand the tax code. Anybody? Can anybody? <laughs> I, I you got it? I'm going to see you after service. I know. I know. I now, know. Let, me, let me say this. Everything that I just said is kind of silly, right? There's no such thing as human fish. There's no such thing as people that can just live in space all the time. No, no, no. But they're not humans. They're not humans. A brick. Fine. A brick can live in space. I concede. That bricks can live in space. Now listen to me. Some of the things, listen up, listen up, listen up. Some of the things that I said are kind of funny. Humans don't really breathe water, right? Humans don't really do some of these things. Nobody understands the tax code. Nobody. Aquaman. Again, checkmate. Very good. One of the things that I find interesting about the gospel is sometimes whenever Jesus is talking to us, he seems to ask us to do things that kind of seem impossible. You know what I mean? If you don't know what I mean, I want you to listen to my sermon today and see if you can figure out what impossible thing Jesus seems to be asking us to do. Okay? Ready? Back to your seats. I didn't think I was going to make it. (laughs) Today is the last Sunday of Epiphany. And to be honest, the sheer importance of Epiphany cannot be overstated. You see, Epiphany is where we celebrate that the Messiah that was born in Israel wasn't just the king of the Jews. Israel's Messiah laid claim over the whole world. And this dominion over Jew and Gentile alike is first seen as the three wise men come from the east And these three Gentile kings worship Jesus as well. The Messiah is born in Israel, but he would not have his kingdom bound by political or geographical lines. His rule would would not be limited to Israel just because he was Jewish. No, the whole world would be under his rule. And by his authority, the whole world would be called to join him in his kingdom. 
Jew and Gentile, Pharisee and tax collector, it did not matter. Epiphany teaches us that every single person in the entire scope of human history was now being called to join God in his new kingdom. And many weeks ago, that's where this sermon series began. We began by saying that the calling placed on your life by God is not a calling to things. Your calling isn't to a job or to a vocation. The call placed on your life by God is for you to come directly to Him, for you to follow Him. God is your calling. The following week, Father Chris said that those who answer the call of Jesus are by His Spirit formed into a community that follows Jesus together. The church is a messy bunch of ragtag family members who are not defined by their worldly characteristics. They are defined as those who have answered the call and now find their hope and life in Christ. The week after that, I said that Jesus calls us into a community because Christ has given his job, his church a job. Christ has given us a charge of going into the world and casting out evil everywhere we find it. This could be done in exceptional ways or in mundane trivialities of life, but whether in big ways or in small, this charge of casting out evil is the very definition of the work that we've been given to do. After our call, after shaping us into a community, after giving that community a charge, Christ then commissions his church. As Father Bob said last week, the commission that Christ gives his church is to bear the light of Jesus into a world that's enveloped by darkness. And then finally, that brings us to today the last Sunday of our Epiphany series. And what we find in our gospel text in Mark chapter 9 is that the transfiguration unveils the destination that unveils for us a culminating event. And that culmination is what I want to talk about this morning. And I want to do that by starting at the very end of our gospel text. The very end of our gospel text, Mark chapter 9, verses 9 and 10 says this, And as they were coming down from the mountain, Jesus charged them, Tell no one what you've seen until the Son of Man has risen from the dead. And now listen very closely to the next line. So the disciples kept the matter to themselves, questioning what this rising from the dead might mean. It's clear from this verse that even though Jesus spoke plainly, the disciples didn't understand that Jesus was actually going to die. And I don't think they're being rebellious or hard-hearted. They just can't quite get their minds around the idea. You see, the disciples looked for a Messiah to be a great military leader, someone who would completely and utterly vanquish his enemies. So for them, there was no category, no scenario where the Messiah died. So when Jesus talks about dying and the disciples seem confused, don't think it's because they're dumb or they're hard-headed. No, they can't understand a Messiah that dies any more than you can understand a man that breathes water. Men don't breathe water. And for the disciples, God's Messiah would never be executed by his enemy. That's foolish. But the disciples have trouble on the horizon. Because as Jesus comes down from the Mount of Transfiguration, we are told that he sets his face towards Jerusalem. And Jesus knows there was a fight waiting for him there. He knew that it, in that fight, there was a cross and ultimately his death. 
And every single bit of that would happen even if the disciples were unprepared for it. Even if the disciples couldn't understand how. After the transfiguration, it's clear that Jesus shifts his focus completely to the cross. But from the best that we can tell in the Gospels, his disciples don't. Instead, the disciples argue and debate among themselves all the way to the Garden of Gethsemane. After the crucifixion, they hide in despair, still unable to take in the fact that Jesus was dead. And even after the resurrection, even though the disciples believed Jesus had been raised from the dead, they're still divided, they're still confused, they still don't see the whole picture. They're still lacking the heart of Jesus. You see, they believed Jesus was crucified. They believed that he was raised from the dead. They saw with their own eyes his ascension to heaven. But despite all they had seen, the disciples still lacked the necessary qualities to carry out the commission given to them by Christ. It appears that a mere affirmation of historical facts does not change your heart. The ability to recite all they had seen Christ do, of all they had heard Christ say, even that seems insufficient to make them ready to carry out the Great Commission. So what hope was there? How could these flawed men ever possibly love one another just as Christ had loved them? And if loving one another was hard, how on earth could they possibly love their enemies? How could these broken men with all their silly hang-ups and disagreements ever hope to bear the light of the eternal God into a world of darkness? Well, you see, Christ understood all of this. Jesus knew his disciples as they were in the closing chapters of the gospel could not do what he had commanded. Christ charged them to go into the world and bear his life, but before they went into the world, Christ told them to do one small thing. Before they went to the outer reaches of the earth, Christ told his disciples to first go into an upper room and to wait there until that which was lacking in them was supplied by his Father. You see, it was at Pentecost that the very Spirit of God filled the disciples and gave them all they needed to do what he had commanded. And with the coming of the Spirit, they had the eyes of Jesus so they could finally see. They had the ears of Jesus and they could finally hear. And most importantly, it was at Pentecost that they finally seemed to receive the heart of Jesus because that's when they really start loving. It was in that moment when the Spirit brought to the disciples the very life of God that the charge given by Jesus finally became a possibility. You see, the charge that Christ has given to his community, the Great Commission, is something Jesus expects his church to fulfill, but it's not something Jesus expects us to accomplish by ourselves. And if we try to do things for Jesus under our own power, with our own wisdom, guys, it only produces hell. Done the wrong way, the ends of ministry become things like notoriety and clout and influence and control. But none of those things are the proper ends of any ministry ordained by Jesus. Whatever else 
my ministry is, whatever else your ministry is, they are not things which belong to us. They are not things which we do under our own authority. Your ministry in the church is not a vessel by which you achieve your own ends. No, our collective ministries belong to Jesus. The power and the resources are supplied by Jesus. And the ends of our ministries, whatever that may be, is ordained by Jesus. You see, the truth is that on my own, I simply do not possess that which I need to accomplish that which God has asked. And guys, neither do you. You would stand a better chance of living on the moon or breathing underwater than bringing about the fulfillment of the Great Commission by your own power. That is how impossible it is. But my friends, Christ never intended his church to do his work without his presence. That's not how this Christian thing works. The church of Jesus isn't a bunch of freelancers with their own agendas. No, we are enabled to do the work of Jesus because those who call him Lord are infused with the very life of Jesus. That is who his church is. That is our defining characteristic. We are light bearers. We bear the very life of the triune God into the world. That is the incredible reality of being a part of Christ's church. You bear in your physical body the very life of the Lord Jesus. That is who you are. And with the life of the Lord Jesus pumping through your veins, you are then charged and commissioned to bear that life into the world. But it has to be done in that order. If you are to fulfill the Great Commission, if you were to bear the life of Jesus into the world, then my friends, you must have the life of Jesus in you. You cannot bear the life you do not possess. And you can't help but bear the life that he gives you. That's how things work. And that incredible reality is the culmination of everything you read in the Gospels. The life of the eternal God is now born into the world by mortal men, by us. The beautiful picture seen in the transfiguration is that before we rush off and busy ourselves with the work of the kingdom, we must remember that there is a mountain and there is a Lord upon it. And he's waiting for you. He's calling for you to come to him. And he wants to supply you with everything you need to do what he's commanded. But before we can do anything for him, you must take the time to behold him. Because if we are to offer this world anything at all, if we are to accomplish the work that he has given us to do, then we must first be transformed by the one who was transfigured. 